The reading this morning can be found on page 1029 of the Bibles, and we'll be reading from John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Sam. You might want to leave, uh, keep that passage open. It's on page 1029. And just as we uh, start, let's just say a quick prayer. Father God, we thank you uh, for your great love for us and uh, for sending Jesus to us. We pray uh, that as we look at John's words now, that you would open them to us and open our hearts to hear your voice too. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, well, we're, um, at, we're in the third and last um, sermon on our series on evangelism. A couple of weeks ago, Tim teed us off looking at exploding the myths of evangelism. Perhaps you resonated with how he was talking about the freeze factors when we talk about evangelism. And, uh, and maybe the, the, that sort of way of thinking that evangelism is for the experts, but not for me. Um, and he was looking at how um, if we live our lives in a particular way, it arouses questions from people and arouses curiosity in them. And that, in turn, can foster hope in their lives and a desire for the things of God. So that was exploding the myths. And then last week, we were looking at, uh, what were we looking at? expounding the truth last week, which was, um, Tim was saying, how we can just simply tell our story and how powerful a story is to, in communicating the, the love of God to people. And this week, we are looking at exploring the opportunities in evangelism, some of the practicalities in, in terms of how we can live our lives evangelistically. And we'll be looking at John's gospel in a bit of depth as we sort of skate through his story. But first, I just wanted to um, introduce things by going back to something that, a story that Tim was telling about a young girl called Millie. You may remember if um, you were here that Tim was on a funeral visit. He was following up after he had conducted a funeral for a family. He was wearing his dog collar and arrived at the door, and he was greeted by the young primary school-aged daughter called Millie, who, um, whose greeting was, why are you here? Um, which was a very profound and deep searching question that has resonated with me ever since Tim told that story. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Why are we here in church today? Why are we going to work during the week if that's what we do? 
What is our purpose in living out our lives on a day-to-day basis? I know what you might be thinking. Will's the new curate. He's just arrived. He's preaching his first sermon. And now he's going to try and grapple with the meaning and purpose of very life itself. Um, Well, actually, with your permission and in great humility, I think I would like to try and tackle that because I think that's what John is doing in his gospel. And we're going to look at John's gospel in a little bit more detail today just to try and tease out what, for John, uh, the meaning and purpose of life was. And for him, the the events surrounding his friend, his close friend, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, how that life, death, and resurrection, the events around that, dramatically changed for him what life's meaning and purpose was all about. John was an evangelist. He's quite open about that. If you look on, in, on page 1029, if you've still got it open, in verse 31 of chapter 20, he says, but these things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John's quite clear about what his purpose is in writing this book. He wants to generate faith and belief in us. He was an evangelist. Everything he did was geared at that. And what, how did he do it? He told a story. That's what John's gospel is. It's the story of a life lived and a death and a resurrection. His story starts with God. If you look Flip over to John 1 if, you've, if you want to follow it. Very familiar verses again. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. His words there echoing the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. Here he's talking about God before the creation, Jesus with the Father, in relationship, in a loving relationship with one another, before anything else happened. And then the creation starts, and the Father and the Son are both involved in that creation. And what's God's attitude towards this world that he's created? A world, as John puts it, that has rejected him largely. If we turn over the page to John chapter 3, in verse 16, we find that God's attitude is one of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's attitude towards this world is one of love. But this isn't just a cozy, touchy-feely kind of warm, fuzzy feeling like you might have when you drink a hot chocolate on a cold winter's day with cream on top and extra marshmallows just to make you feel a bit better. No, this is a love that demands action. If you turn, if you turn on to the next verse from 3.16, you find, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's loving action is to send his son. And this sending is a 
constant theme throughout John's gospel. Jesus, in John's eyes, identified himself first and foremost as someone sent by the Father. You'll find references to Jesus saying that they might believe that I am the one who was sent from the Father. Jesus saw his very identity as being one who sent. His life, if you like, was a mission. mission the word mission coming from, uh, meaning literally sending. Jesus saw his life as a mission driven by God's love to a world that had rejected him. And obviously, we know that that mission led him to the cross. His life there on the, uh, ended on the cross, um, but that wasn't the end of the story, as we know as well. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And in one sense, his mission was accomplished. But it wasn't complete. When we get on to um, John chapter 20, the passage that we had read for us on page 1029, we find the disciples pondering what it meant that their friend Jesus had died on the cross. They were afraid. They were gathered together for security. And Jesus miraculously comes into a house with doors locked and says, peace be with you, identifying himself as their friend. But then in verse 21, our key verse for today, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That sending word again. And Jesus here resurrected and vindicated because of that resurrection. On his way to ascend to God's side in heaven, he hands the baton on to the disciples and says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And this little group came to be known as the apostles. The ap- apostle is a Greek word meaning sent ones. So the disciples came to see themselves as taking on Jesus' mission, sent by God's love to the world. And so for us, we inherit that mission, Jesus' mission, to a world that needs God's love. And so I want to stake a claim for a new definition of evangelism. Evangelism meaning living lives that proclaim this story of God's love for the whole world in Jesus. Living lives that proclaim the story of God's love for the whole world in Jesus. So, exploring the possibilities. What practically can we do in terms of our everyday life to inhabit that mission that um, we inherit from Jesus. In every generation, in every time and place, people who have followed Jesus grapple with this question. What does life look like living out this mission of Jesus? Well, I want to use as a tool today um, five marks of mission that theologians have identified. And they're going to come up on the screen, I think. Yeah, there we go. Five marks of mission. And we can use these marks as a sort of template to look at our lives together as the body of Christ. Firstly, evangelism 
is loving the lost. The first mark of mission is evangelism itself. And each mark of mission is an enactment of God's love to a different group in a different way. And here, evangelism is the first and foremost mark, loving the lost. Lost is a kind of emotive word, isn't it? We might have negative feelings about, I wouldn't want to be described as lost. What am I, a lost cause? But um, in Jesus' view, someone or something that is lost is something precious and that's sought after. We hear in Luke's gospel about the lost coin, someone sweeping around the house trying to find it, or the lost sheep, and someone leaves the rest of their flock flock of sheep behind and goes and finds that precious lost sheep. Or the lost son, we read about a father pacing up and down, looking for his son's return home. And so in Jesus' mind, somebody or something that's lost is not something beyond hope. It's somebody or something that is eagerly sought after, and when they are returned, there is great celebration. So as we inhabit these marks of mission, our life itself will be evangelistic. It will proclaim this love, the love of the Father. So the second mark is discipleship, loving one another. In John's Gospel again, in chapter 13, Jesus gives his disciples a command. John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's interesting that he felt the need to share that command, wasn't it? Maybe he knew that the tendency was exactly the opposite, to actually see first the differences between one another rather than to seek unity and love in the church. But then the next verse in 13.35, we hear Jesus saying, By this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, this is a love that happens in the public sphere, isn't it? Our unity or disunity is there for all to see. And inasmuch as we are united and loving towards one another, Amidst all of our differences, people will see God's love in our love for one another. So that's the second mark of mission, discipleship. On to the third one, service, loving those in need. Now, it has been said in the past that the evangelical wing of the church has been slightly slow in coming to the party in acts of service but I'm very thankful to come to a church such as St. Danis where there's so much loving service going on. We have our rags, random acts of grace that take place regularly once a month in the evening where people go out and help people painting a flat or taking out rubbish or clearing something up or just walking a dog. Um, but there are other ways that the, uh, the members here and we are all called to be involved in acts of service. Maybe it's volunteering for a charity. Maybe it's simply being a friend to somebody who is actually quite hard work. There are different ways in which we perform this loving act of service. Perhaps it's our, in our workplace where we have decided 
to take a different stance as a manager, to see management as an act first and foremost of service, taking Jesus' example to heart. What a countercultural thing that is. The fourth mark of mission for our template is justice, which I've defined here as loving the vulnerable, loving those who need us to give them a voice, perhaps. It's not to stand for the way that things are and to look at the structures of our very society and saying no where those are unjust. For example, uh, very, very well known now, the fair trade movement is a justice movement. It's looking at the well-being of people maybe thousands of miles away who um, we can treat as consumers very badly if we're not very careful. The incarnation, Jesus' life amongst us, demands from us that we get involved in the world in the same way that God has got involved in our world, in love. Just recently, when we moved to Parsons Green, I was noticing that the, the vast number of cars that are towed away outside my house, the, the tow trucks around here are incredibly, I mean, they're, they're quicker than a Ferrari pit stop. They're, they're literally giving tickets and towing people away so quickly. And I have to admit, there's something in, inside me, and I'm confessing something here, that's quite satisfied in seeing a luxury car being put on the back of it. And I confess that as envy, and I'm sorry about that. But it was when a friend of mine got their car towed away that I really got angry about this injustice. Um, and I have noticed again and again cars being left on a yellow line to just get towed away. And I think, actually, this is wrong. It's wrong. It's not a success that cars are being towed away so frequently. It's actually a failure of our system to communicate what the parking restrictions are. So I've written to my local councillors. So there you go. That's my campaign. I wonder what your campaigns are to overthrow unjust structures in this world. If there are any of our local councillors here, that would be great to have a chat afterwards. <laughs> okay, lastly, the fifth mark of mission for our template of evangelistic living, creation, loving God's world. And again, Christians have been slow to come to this particular party. Uh, environmentalists have sometimes been seen as slightly woolly and unwashed people, but now the church is waking up to see that actually we have a biblical warrant and requirement to love and tend God's planet, not to see it as a resource that can be plundered but to see it as a garden, as creation as a garden to be tended and nurtured. This is a missional activity. It's not just um, a nice sideline to make us feel better. It's actually part of the very core of being a believer of Jesus Christ. So here we have it, the five marks of mission. You may feel more confident and comfortable with one or two of those different marks than others. But as a church, as a body of Christ, we all should be embodying those five marks together. Some may be stronger on some and weaker on others. But together, we all have ownership of all of this. 
just as we close, I was really struck by um, the line of that song that we just sung. Uh, All of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to worship. And it may be that um, we're in a different season in our life to the one that um, we've got used to. Maybe things at work have changed or things have changed with our health, in our relationships, and we find ourselves at a different point and we find ourselves asking about questions about purpose and meaning. We could do well, I think, to look at our template here, to look at the pattern of our lives and ask ourselves question, what is God asking of us out of his love, a love that he wants us to show to the world in the, in the rhythms and patterns and structures of our life? Is there something new that I could be doing, saying, the patterns of the way that I live my life, to be missional, to be evangelistic, to proclaim God's love to a world that needs it? Before we sing our final hymn, let's just pray. Let's just close our eyes and ask God to show us if there's something that he would like to put on our hearts. God bless you, Will. Thank you. Powerful message and much food for thought. I love that definition, uh, living our lives in such a way as to proclaim the love of God for the whole of creation in Jesus Christ. Uh, And we can all of us access that definition, maybe through one or other of those marks of mission. Yeah, Father, uh, so much food for thought. And we pray as we go from here, that you would indeed send us out as apostles, one sent to live and work to your praise and glory that others might come into relationship with you. For the sake of your name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing our final hymn now. It's our offertory song, an opportunity as an expression of our worship of God to to give. Uh, He gives so much to us as an opportunity to give in financial terms. If you'd like to make your gift tax efficient, these envelopes down the side help you to do that. But please, if you're visiting here, we often say we've loved having you and please don't feel obliged. This is kind of something something I think we 
uh, recognize members would want to do, but um, we recognize not everyone here is a member, you're visiting, and so please don't feel obliged to give. Just If the bag comes, just pass it on. Absolutely no shame. No one's sort of looking or taking notes or anything. Uh, we've loved having you with us. Let's stand and sing our final song together. Savior. 